When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ready? Play. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are here to... Announced the the passing of Nick Bolatieri. I hope I'm saying his name rightly there, Nick. Yeah, Nick Bolatieri. Yeah. Um, somebody that I was familiar with. I'm 43 years old. I was familiar with him as a coach of Andre Agassi. Of course, his time in the sport stretches back a lot further than that, though, doesn't it, Nick? Yeah. I mean, he started working as a tennis coach in the 50s um, in Miami. Uh, very much, he would admit himself, he was a, a fake it till you make it coach in the early days. Um, he didn't really know what he was doing. His his partner at the time had to show him which which end of the racket was the handle and what to do with it. Nick was never never um, anything but quite frank about that. But yeah, he he began coaching in the fifties in Miami and uh, and has been involved in tennis for what the, however many what sixty plus years since then. And how did you know him, Nick? Um, I was a sports writer at The Independent. 20 years ago, it was that I first um, sort of had a professional conversation with Nick about exploring whether uh, we could get him to come to The Independent, particularly during Wimbledon, and write columns for us. Because he was, by that point, he was he, he was most famous probably at that point for having been Andre Agassi's coach when Agassi won Wimbledon in 92, as in his hands-on tour coach in the box as he won that famous title. Um, he'd also, by that point, you know, ha- had a string of players coming out of his academy or, he, or who had worked with him at his academy in Florida. Um, so we're talking about Monica Sellers, Jim Courier, um, Brian Gottfried, um, Anna Kornikova, famously, or maybe infamously, given given some people's sort of attitudes to whether she focused enough on her tennis, but um, but yeah, a huge name Anna Kornikova. So this was two thousand and two, and we wanted Nick to start doing columns from two thousand and three. So and and that's how that's how I sort of got to know Nick because he would come over to Wimbledon each year, and I would work with him writing his daily columns, um, and then, and yeah, and I did that uh, every year until I left the independent in 2010 although I've stayed in touch with Nick and his family uh, we spent a lot of time together at Wimbledon those years um, we got him to work do stuff for us at other times I went to stay with him and his family in Florida he was often over here doing stuff so yeah that's how I met him working with him on his columns tell me about Nick the person uh, particularly the one that you knew having worked with him on the columns 
Um, he was uh, just a complete force of nature. I mean, he would have been 71 probably when I first spoke to him. So he was in his 70s and very much, um, you know, a pensioner, but just the most dynamic person who, who was on the court every day from at the latest 6 a.m. If he got to the court later than 6, he would consider himself tardy. He was on the court every day in Bradenton, Florida at his academy, teaching classes and individual students. He was just totally nonstop. Um, he, he was born and raised in New York in the 30s of Italian immigrant parents. He, uh, he, he inhabited my head for 17 days every summer in terms of catching his voice because the way that a column works when when I was sort of ghosting his column it, it or rather helping him with his column what would happen is is I would turn up at Wimbledon generally pretty early nine o'clock in the morning before play started at 11 and Nick would already be there sitting at the desks with his sheets of you know pads of yellow paper in which he might already have scribbled 10 pages of notes and then he'd be straight into hey Nick we got to talk about this in tomorrow's paper. We got to put this in the paper. I want to tell you about Andre Agassi and a thing that happened here. And, you know, it was just constant the whole time. Um, he was just nonstop about tennis, about life. Um, he was exhausting to be around um, uh, at times. Uh, very funny. So many stories the whole time. So many tennis. Walking with him around the Wimbledon grounds, he would get stopped constantly by tennis players. Um, he would, he would, he was accredited for the tournament because he was working for us. But he would go into post-match press conferences, for example, just to say hello to the players that he knew. So you know, I, which I, I think probably annoyed some other journalists on on occasions because Nick would sit in a press conference, say, for Serena Williams and put his hand up to ask a question. And when he was picked, he would just say something like, Serena, I just watched your match. You are the one of the greatest tennis players ever. And he, was, he wasn't there to ask a question, but he was, you know, and then Serena would get off the, off the, you know, down from the podium and come over and give Nick a big hug. You know, he was just a larger than life character who everybody in tennis knew most people admire, uh, admired, a few found extremely annoying. I mean, I don't know how much time we've got to go into it, but he, he did fall out with a lot of people for various reasons. But generally, and pretty much always, he reconciled himself to those people. So, you know, he famously coached and then broke up with Agassi. They had an estranged relationship for years. But, you know, they were reconciled. And I know, um, you know, from talking to friends and family that Andre Agassi has spoken to, to Nick, even in the last couple of weeks, you know, in his dying weeks, and that sort of moved Nick to tears. So, you know, he, he famously he coached Becker when Becker was sort of had been on the downslide, and he helped him helped him back up the rankings. I know him and Boris fell out, but they were also reconciled. I know that various people have been critical of Nick and his maybe his brashness and his outspokenness at times. Johnny Mac maybe at times has has said that Nick can be a bit OTT, but at the same time, Johnny Mack has sent, I think, at least one of his kids to Bolletieri's Academy. So, yeah, just a larger-than-life character who's worked with, you know, 10 world number ones, at least 10, the Williams sisters, Monica Sellers, Agassi Becker, um, uh, Marcella Rios. Um, Sharapova. Oh, Sharapova, obviously, Kornikova. Um, uh, Tommy Haas, I don't think he got to number one, but they certainly worked together. Yeah, yeah, there were Nicole Vidasova, I think she was number one for a period, Yelena Yankovic, um, Tommy House, obviously Kane Ishikori, um, 
uh, again, not number one, I don't think, but certainly slam contender. Um, just the amount of champions that, that he coached and worked with at different times sort of showed how influential he was in the lives of some of the, the most famous and successful tennis players of the last five, six decades. I really became aware of him during the Agassi times. That would have been in the early 90s. I was sort of just approaching my teens. Um, but I also very quickly became aware of his his academy and the you know the godfather of tennis coaching in so many respects, even in the 90s. So you can imagine how that legendary status has evolved. I, I, knew, I knew one or two tennis players, albeit of a very sort of amateur level that I remember one girl I knew actually she had the chance to to go to his camp in Florida um he it was in a day as well when coaches weren't really that well known now we live in a world where we've got tv on our screens all the time and we've got 24-hour news channels and and also we've got channels like this on on the internet too so we're seeing we're becoming more aware of the Patrick Moratoglu's the Tim Cahill's and so on and so forth uh, sorry the Darren Cahill's um but voluntary... that, that would be a good story. Tim yeah, 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 yeah. Given yeah. up his job in Qatar to become a tennis coach. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, but Boliteri was sort of the first one, if you like. I mean, we see it on the screen here, age 91, but he was working into his 80s. And I can hear from your voice, Nick, and some of the comments you've made, the enthusiasm he had. Yeah, I mean, he, he I guess what, what really was pioneering about Bolly, rather than him being a coach, you know, a one-to-one -one coach, though he was that for some big players, was he's, he was the first person to set up the residential hot housing academy, which of course has been very successful and also had its detractors saying, you know, well, kids being, you know, taken away too early, seven or eight or 10 to be basically in a, in a boarding school environment. Um, but he pioneered that. I think it was the 70s. He first started taking people into his house and he had some grounds and some tennis courts. And later he developed um, the academy on the current site in Bradenton, Florida. Nick, again, always admitted he was a terrible businessman. And also because he had so many wives and so much alimony to pay, um, he wasn't necessarily great with money. So a combination of not being great with money and being a terrible businessman meant that the academy itself you know, didn't work for him financially. And that's how it ended up being bought by IMG in 1987, I think. But they realized that Nick was absolutely central to it. So Nick became, in effect, an employee of IMG from the late 80s. But that model, the model of having a hothouse talent factory, was something that, that Nick, that Bolly pioneered from the, from the 70s into the 80s, and obviously it still exists today. Now, there's, there's maybe some misconceptions about, um, about the academy that it's just for people who are going to become professionals. I mean, it's not. It's got, at any given time, dozens or hundreds of students. It's got schools on site. It's got amazing facilities. It's now within the same campus. It's where the U.S. soccer men's team have their winter training camp. There's a David Ledbetter Golf Academy also on campus, I think. MBA players maybe go and use the gym facilities there. It's got an amazing conditioning center. And this has developed over time. But um, but like I said, it was Nick's vision that made that happen in the first place. So that's really where he got into it. And then Agassi was somebody who, who went to the academy. You know, Andre Agassi famously, his dad had a tennis ball on a piece of string over his pram from when he, you know, literally when he was a baby and then he was in that academy environment. Obviously, Monica Schellers went there, Kornikova, Sharapova, all the others, all these others who, who went there as kids and developed. So that really was the, the big pioneering aspect of Nick's career. And then once it 
became you know obvious that this was working the academy became a mix of people who maybe wanted to be hot house to be good enough to get um, scholarships at American universities and that's still the majority of, of people who are there and customers at any one time people who are sort of looking to to get scholarships to, to do expensive degrees but it still is turning out a sizable amount of players who go on to become high-ranking professional players and then and then on the other side of it you've got Nick who as an elite one-to-one -one coach has also worked with um, you know everyone from Agassiz to the Williams sisters when they were kids to Boris and and others and and to see Nick in action on the courts you know I've spent weeks there at different points and been on the courts with him from 6am and watching how he holds people in the palm of his hand whether this is a billionaire industrialist who's paid a few thousand dollars to have a half an hour session with him or a bunch of 12 year old kids it's amazing and I I, I asked him once you know I said Nick what, what do you think it is about you and your personality that that mean that you can hold these people in thrall and he just looked at me, he said, Nick, I've no freaking idea. And he, he just, he, he couldn't really, I don't think he appreciated his own charisma. I mean, he knew, he knew he was sort of um, charismatic and he was loud and he was, and he was in your face and he was a salesman. I mean, more than anything, he was a salesman. He was a salesman for tennis and he was a salesman for himself, but he was also a tennis evangelist. You know, he wanted people to play tennis. He did lots of charity work. He, he, um, but, but yeah, his contribution therefore is, is, is manifold. It worked on the level of, of pioneering this academy style and then working with individual people and players and working in communities and just spreading the word of tennis. He just loved you know, I think he loved his life and, and he loved, he did love the attention and he loved, and he loved, um, he loved winning. And I think, you know, when he talked about his players, particularly Andre Agassi, there was such obvious affection, like a father-son relationship between them. And like players who maybe weren't multiple Grand Slam winning champions that he had really close relationships. Tommy Haas would be one. Um, all sorts of other players who, you know, were lifelong friends of, of Nick and and even if he wasn't their coach and whatever you would get players always returning there to Bradenton maybe to do winter training because it felt like home to them and they knew that Nick would have their back yeah and you mentioned Tommy Haas he's one of the people that's really responded already I mean North America uh, where I believe Tommy resides these days is sort of just waking up to to this news, if you like. Um, I know Denis, I mean, Denis Shapovalov, a, a, you know, a youngster on the tour of today, even he's responded. He's aware of, of obviously, uh, Boletari's influence and importance in the sport. Um, we've and also Chris Everett seen... as well. I think we've had Chris Everett on Twitter just in Chris the last few hours. Yeah. Saying, okay. you know, not only is he a great coach, but a, a warm and kind guy and that's the thing i mean i know like i said nick nick had his has had his knockers and he's he's fallen out with people and there's you know people have been critical of the whole hothouse environment which is all absolutely fair criticism and, and we could all debate that and nick was always happy to debate the pros and cons but you know knowing him and knowing the amount of people he's worked with uh you, you know he he just had people's backs he he was fiercely loyal to pretty much everyone he worked with and though i worked with him closely on columns for eight years and have known him for 20 years it you know he really he really didn't have a bad word to say about anyone and he was fiercely loyal to the people that he had worked with 
Um, yeah, I've just got this uh, tweet here from from Chris Ever. I mean, <clears throat> one final thing before before we lose you, Nick Nick Harris. That is, um, <laughs> I mean, what do you think his his legacy will be? You know, in in years to come. Well, his legacy is already already established in terms of the the idea that you can, you, you know, the academy the academy principle, which wasn't common in sport, let alone tennis, before he pioneered it. I mean, the, there is that his love of tennis, his enthusiasm for the game, and the legacies of all the other people in tennis who he helped to develop and bring through, not just as tennis players, but. But as people, he he very much had this ethos that, you know, if you come to Bradenton, then you, you're going to have to do your schoolwork as well. Because, we, you know, you're not he, he would tell people you're probably not going to be a professional tennis player, even if he thought they were. He would drill it into them that they had to do their schoolwork and do their chores and, you know, dress properly and be polite and all that kind of stuff. He talked about, you know, maybe this was his military background. He was a paratrooper. You know, he was a philosophy graduate and a paratrooper. Um, maybe there was something about that, the military background that made him, you know, instilled in him those ethics as well as his his family sort of work ethic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think his legacy will be will be the the academy system, but also the lives and the the tennis careers of all those he helped to influence. Um, Nick Harris, thanks for your time um, and your words, uh, some of which were written together with Nick Bolotieri, of course, for those columns. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Nick Bolatieri, who passed away, a uh, legendary and pioneering tennis coach uh, who has recently passed away. Thank you very much, Nick. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.